In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last Sunday, we entered into the two-week season called Passion Tide. It includes the fifth week of Lent and Holy Week also. And the church's assigned readings were the wicked tenant, the parable of the wicked tenants, as a warning and confrontation, a warning to the chief priests and scribes of Jesus' day. But it's also a warning of different types to different people, to the Hebrews, to the church, and to all people, not to let pride keep them from the lavish offering of love and forgiveness that comes with repentance. Let me repeat that. A warning not to let pride keep them, and us, from the lavish offering of love and forgiveness that comes with repentance. In both the story of the prodigal son two weeks ago and the parable of the wicked tenants, we saw the great love of God the Father displayed in the Gospel. God gives every opportunity to repent and come to him. To the prodigal son, who does repent, of course, and asks for forgiveness and receives it, And amazingly, even to the wicked tenants of the vineyard in Luke chapter 20, who find themselves hardened in their pride and do not. The message of both parables is clear and the same, but from different vantage points. And again, that message is, do not allow pride to harden your hearts to the love, mercy, and forgiveness that God offers exclusively through his Son, Jesus Christ. Today, as the Passion story unfolds, as we just heard, and as we will walk for the rest of this week through with our Lord in a small way, we see both parables. We see the parable of the wicked tenants and the parable of the prodigal son played out, not as parables, but as real life, at a real time, in a real place. Actual people in history take their place and take their parts of their own free will. The chief priests, the Jewish elders, the scribes of Israel seal their fate as wicked tenants from whom the vineyard is taken by killing the Son of God. The owner of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard's son is the Son of God. Jesus Christ takes his place at center stage. Judas, soldiers, and the crowd throw their lot in with the leaders. And so it seems does the Apostle Peter. There are other groups of people as well. Pontius Pilate, Simon of Cyrene, the women of Jerusalem, the criminals on the cross, and the centurion. Each are fascinating and interesting in their reactions to Jesus. And each reacts and responds to him in different ways. Some are cowardly, like Judas, who betrays Jesus. Peter, who denies him three times. Pilate, who does not use his lawful authority to defend him as a Roman governor. Herod, whose heart is so hardened that all he's looking for is a show. Some are threatened and malicious like the soldiers who mock Jesus and beat him, or like the priests, the scribes, and the elders who ask questions, but without really, knowing, without really wanting to know the answer. 
just as you just did as your, in your part. Or the criminals next to him, the criminal, rather, next to him, who rails against him. Some sympathetically take their parts, partaking in his suffering, like Simon the Serene, or the daughters of Jerusalem, or the women of Galilee that stand by his side deeply mourning, or even the thief on the cross. Each person is confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. We heard repeatedly in today's reading, the Passion reading, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the innocent man. One of the things that is so clear in the Passion reading today is that Jesus' identity is fully revealed. Jesus' identity is voiced both by the cowardly and the malicious as well as the mournful and the repentant. There's no ambiguity, no ignorance to stand behind. Jesus has been revealed even to the point of physical nakedness on the cross. And each responds in a different way when face to face with the Son of Man, God, whom the Father chose and anointed to send to the vineyard of his people, of his creation. The power of the passion story of Christ endures. The centuries, even millennia, have come and gone, and that confrontation of God's love continues. Who do you say that Jesus is? What is your response to his love? There are all kinds of fascinating prophecies fulfilled and human complexities in this passage, but the main question of the Passion text reaches through the centuries and the millennia. Who do you say that Jesus is? And the response of each group in the Passion reading is mirrored by people that we see today maybe even by ourselves in the past, perhaps even today, as we're confronted with the true identity of who Jesus Christ is as Son of God and Son of Man, the Innocent One, the One who, as Isaiah writes, was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Some are cowardly and turn away, they just will not face reality in their, because of their love of their sin. They hide behind clever arguments or improbable uncertainty. Why? A variety of reasons. They don't want to admit their guilt, perhaps, or face their failures, perhaps. They don't want to be held accountable, maybe. But their reaction is to ignore, deny, turn away, and ironically, and sadly, in their pride, they run from who Jesus is. Others are threatened and malicious. Jesus' true identity would mean abandoning a lifestyle of pleasure, or forsaking a position of power, or repenting of an ugly habit that they've nurtured for so long that despite its evil, they see it as good and an inseparable part of themselves. Such people do not run, but turn menacingly towards Jesus and the truth. They must tear down anything that convicts them 
anything that indicts them, anything that reminds them of God, their reaction is to destroy, to despise, and to mock. Then there are those who mourn. These see who Jesus is and sympathize and lament. Their hearts are tender when they face the identity of who Jesus is as the Son of God and Son of Man. They share his sufferings and they see the injustice and embrace the teachings and sufferings of Christ. They may or may not embrace Christ himself, but their hearts are tender. But there's one more group of people in St. Luke's Passion story who are prominent that I have yet to mention. The group consists of only two people that I can identify that don't fit into any one of those three categories. They're not cowardly, they're not threatened or malicious, and they're not just mourners, but they're something else. As individuals, they couldn't be more different in background. One is a Jew, and the other most assuredly a Gentile. Do you know who they are? Who are these two men that form the last group? Well, you don't have citations, but... In Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 42, we read about the criminal. And then later, in verse 47, the centurion. The criminal and the centurion. What unites these men who are so vastly different? One is powerless, actually crucified next to Jesus, about to die and crucified and executed by his own admission for something that he did. Look at verse 41 as the criminal is next to Jesus. He says, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. The other is in command of the situation. In fact, he's physically in command of the very detail that has crucified Christ, the centurion. The criminal or the thief on the cross is most assuredly a Jew. Remember, Roman citizens could not be crucified. The centurion watching on is most assuredly not a Jew. The equivalent of a captain or a major in today's army, there's almost no way that a Jew would have risen to that rank. But most importantly, these two men, so different in background, are united in their reaction and response to the identity of Jesus as the Christ, the King, the Son of God, the innocent or righteous Son of Man. Both of their reaction is one of awe when confronted with Jesus' love. One of awe at who he is and his true identity. And finally, one of worship. The criminal and the centurion both proclaim that Jesus is righteous or innocent. Did you catch that? In their own words, they both declare Jesus righteous or innocent. Again, the criminal says, We are justly being crucified, for we're receiving the reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
And then the centurion who says, certainly this man was innocent. You can also translate that righteous. Jesus is innocent and righteous. And they both are confronted with it. They see it. And their response is worship. The centurion, we're told, praises God. He praises God. I'm not sure why it's omitted in this uh, narrated version, but if you actually look at the text in the Bible, it says that he says, certainly this man was innocent, and then he praised God. The word there is actually doxology. Doxology. It's a weird word in the Greek. To praise or extol or magnify God. One can only imagine the mix of emotions that the centurion must have been feeling as he was in charge of the detail that crucified Christ. But here, in clarity of sight, he worships. And he proclaims Jesus' innocence for all the crowd to hear. In our reading today, it says, And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. But that's a response to the centurion praising God and saying, certainly, this man was innocent. What does it say that the first sermon preached about Christ's death on the cross was preached by a convicted criminal and a soldier? who had executed him. What does that say? To whom has the parabolic vineyard been given? It's been taken away from the chief priests, from the leaders of the Jews, and handed over to whom? A criminal and a centurion, thus fulfilling the end of that parable. Cyril of Alexandria writes of the criminal The thief became the confessor of the Savior's glory and the accuser of pride of those who crucified him. St. Ambrose of Milan writes, The centurion recognizes a stranger, but the Levite, meaning the priestly class of the Jews, does not recognize their own. Today we see the parable of the vineyard of God enacted, taken away from its tenants, and given to the church in the form of the first believers, the criminal, the humble criminal, and the humble Gentile soldier who worshiped Christ on the cross. What was told in a parable and by prophecy today and for the rest of this most holy week is remembered and commemorated as an event An event in history, but an event that transcends history as well, reaching through to us today. A real event that affects people of all time and asks the question, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? I ask you, how are you responding to him? When you come face to face with him, as one day you will, by yourself, what will you say? May you have the faith of the criminal. May you have the faith of the soldier. May we be able to say, Jesus, 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And certainly this man was innocent and was crucified for me because I was not. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.